pop that Sudafed <clears throat> and clear your throat. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. All right, anyway, let's get into the show. I want to, want to thank a few people who helped us out. Adam, I don't really care. We're moving on. Adam Lee Nesfold, Raphael Molina, and Bob Stunts. And a lot of people signed up on the YouTube membership thing. Yeah. The problem is YouTube is not making it easy for us to capture that list of people when they sign up. So we're going to try to figure something out because we want you guys to get a little shout out too. Uh, it's just very hard for us to do uh, the way the system is set up. Okay. You should probably tell them if, if they're not familiar with the memberships yeah. on YouTube. Okay. So we have the, the memberships on YouTube. We just did an announcement. So yeah. Click the join button, watch the announcement, and learn all about it. Yes. Two levels. We're trying to keep parity between Patreon and YouTube. So if you want to use one or the other, um, keep in mind, please, most important thing, this is just a, a voluntary support sort of thing. It's, this is not a requirement Same for anyone. We're not taking anything away from anyone. This is simply a way for you to support the show. And if you don't want to do it, that's totally cool. Just you know, watch the videos and enjoy them like you normally do. Absolutely no problem with that. Okay. I have questions. But and I, am, I am working on a Dougie emoji. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, YouTube does give us goofy emojis, stickers, and things like that. I like to play with that stuff. I don't know. If you're into that sort of thing. So uh, what do you say we do a little woodworking chat? A little, ta- little woodworking talky-talky. I, uh, I think that's good. We have lots of Patreon questions. <clears throat> I'll be pulling questions. I'm going to do just do this. Hi. We'll uh, do the show like... I'm going to... Can we I'm do the do- show like a really annoying couple? <laughs> The, side, the same side sitters. The same side sitters in restaurants or the, the ones where the guy is so leaning over the girl and his arms like, like put her in a headlock down by her chest and she's like under the oppressive weight of his hairy fat arm. Um, and uh, yeah, let's not do that. But I will be taking questions from the YouTube chat. <laughs> Just give me that sweet Nicole voice. <laughs> okay. So I'm getting warm here. Woo. Okay, Sebastian Marchand says, any update on what the next guild projects will be? I know that there's Matt's Vanity, Phillips Chair, and the rest of the Fremont Chest videos. Is there anything tentatively scheduled for the rest of 2020? Uh, Nothing is on the schedule beyond those three. And uh, frankly, that's enough. It's a lot of work to get a guild (laughs) guild project published. You realize we're at a point that three projects over a four-month period is making people say, I want more. Oh, wow. That's right? Awesome. Guild projects are something that's like, there's a lot of moving parts to get one of those published. So I'm lucky to get three of them a year. But um, yeah, so unfortunately, nothing beyond that right now. It's not to say that I won't have like a little pop-up project to throw in there, but we'll have to see. Okie dokie. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had a voicemail come in from Adrian. Yay! Our first voicemail. Is this our first one that we're playing on the show? our very first voicemail. <clears throat> are you trying to see if that works? I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> You should just go through the motions. Yeah, I'm going through the motions. I mean, there is some signal coming through there. I just don't... Oh. Did you not hit a button? Nicole, hold on. Hold on. Try it now. Can you hear me now? Is that any better? Can you hear me now? All right. I I I think I know the problem, but I'm not going to mess with it. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just move on. (laughs) Jeez, so pizza. Hi, Mark and Nicole. This is Adrian Abshire from beautiful North Alabama, near Huntsville. Um, had a quick question. My wife and I are going to be taking a turning class from Woodcraft in Tennessee and wanted to know what your take is on different lathes and what's a good one to get. How big should we get something just starting out? I really don't want to buy something and then 
have to go back and rebuy it again because we didn't choose a, a big enough one or, you know, way too big or whatever. I guess you can't ever really have too big since I'm the person that my first bandsaw is an 18BX from Laguna. Um, that's fairly large. Anyway, have a great day. Love the show. Talk to y'all later. Bye. All right. Thanks for that, Adrian. Oh, Adrian, that was so awesome. Unfortunately, it's a question that I'm not going to be real good at answering. Well, I could I could give my thoughts. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, so when we first started turning, I had that little pin. It was like a little tiny one. Yeah, it was a, a jet mini lathe, yeah. I believe. Because I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into it. So it was just a nice little one. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, I like this. And then we upgraded to the uh, big old. Right. Yeah. I mean, one. Lathes, I mean, I think this goes for any tool. Uh, a lot of times you end up getting one that you wind up selling later. Um, either mm -hmm. you don't know how much you're going to get into it, you don't know exactly what you're going to be turning, and you wind up getting, uh, let's say you think, okay, I'm going to go big, right? I'm going to get a floor standing one, not even one of those little mini or midi lathes. I'm going to go floor standing. Well, even that one, eventually, you might find a limitation with the swing, or you want to do something where you overhang the bed on the outside and, and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of features depending on what you're turning uh, that you may find those limitations. So I think a lot of this does, I mean, if all you're doing is spindles, well, you could probably just have a mini lathe and get away with that for a long time. But if you want to get into bowls and platters and big vessels and things like that, uh, you're going to find those limitations pretty quickly. So it's like any other tool. If you have the budget to throw into it and you know this is something you really want to do a lot of, do your research, and I'm not great with lathes, so I'm not going to be Somebody able to throw brands. Laguna, Laguna uh, seems to have good lathes. The Powermatic lathes are good. A little bit better price if you go to the Jet lathes. Uh, but it, the, if you get into the world of lathes, it's a whole different level thing. There's uh, companies like OneWay. Um, oh, there's another, I can't remember the other names. Uh, but there are some really big name companies that make top-notch lathes, and you're going to have to do that research. He said that he's in a garage, so space is limited. Okay. That's always the challenge, though, right? But we did put that Powermatic on wheels. Mm -hmm. um, what was the you can, rock and... Yeah, the rock, Rick, Rick, rock, and Rick roll. rock and Roll something. Lift, lift Rock and Roll. You even did a video on it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. You so. can make it mobile, but I don't want to see him go with something where the swing, the you know distance between the, the yeah. uh, center of the headstock and the, the base there, the table thing, hoochie-wachie. too short. Yeah, you want to be able to actually turn nice big bowls on there. So sometimes well, those mini lathes are, are too small. Well, I'm just saying. Most people want bowls. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good chance he's going to want to turn a bowl at some point. So, yeah. you know, it's like any other tool. Mm -hmm. Get get the best you can right now. And if you can't get something that's top-notch, plan on selling the other one and recouping that money and then buying something that's or more appropriate. look at the used market, too. I well, mean, there could be other people selling their lathes. For all of this, always look at the used market first because even the good stuff, the really high-end stuff, you still may find that used and save money. Aaron said he has a when. I didn't know when made lights. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Nick Green, for uh, joining our memberships. Oh, thanks, Nick Green. You know what? I'm so, I'm so off-kilter with the audio trouble and the lack of coffee. I, I forgot to mention this. So this is going to be uh, the last episode Yay. in the Nicole's Desk series. It will premiere after we're done here. So uh, once the after show is complete, keep an eye out. The notification should come down. And uh, I'll be doing a little the world premiere mm. of part four, the final part in the series. So keep an eye but out for that. there's already people have watched that. Uh, people who are members yep. have already seen it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Todd Kegel says, 
I have some cursive writing I've routed with an eighth inch router bit, but would like to sharpen up the lines of the letters since they're curved. I can't do that with a chisel. Any suggestions? All right, so you're using an eighth inch router bit. Have you considered using like a V um, shaped bit, like a V notch bit? Uh, a lot of times when you get the, if you're able, so you, this is where a CNC like excels at something like this. But if you can figure it out so that you can kind of ease your way into some of those sharp corners with a V bit, uh, you can get that really sharp corner that tapers its way out of the corner as well. So that might be something to look into. And do you remember the sign people? What are their names? They made our Wood Whisper sign mm -hmm. up there and they're such nice people. Make, make a wood sign? I don't know. I can't remember what their YouTube channel is. My they're, brain doesn't work so well anymore. Yeah, there's a, a great bunch of people that are, um, it's a father-son team and oh, I, can't, I can't remember anybody's names. Uh, they're such great people, but they do it all by hand with routers and they make some absolutely beautiful signs with some, you know, crisp lines and corners and things like that. You might look into uh, some advice from them because they specialize in that. Uh, let's see. And you say you can't do it with a chisel, but you could do it with carving tools. So that's probably my last suggestion. Uh, a basic set of carving tools will include, um, you know, a V-shaped carving tool that should allow you to get a little bit tighter into some of those uh, small corners. Check out Mary May. Yeah, I don't know how much she does in letter carving, but she certainly could carve a letter if she wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> Mary May is uh, is amazing with her. That's uh, just the stuff she she um, the real She's detailed work. She moved over to Twitch. Mm. That's cool. She's got a whole online school and everything. Yeah. Yeah. She's killing it over there. I'll okay. Put a, I'll put a link in the chat. Good deal. Aaron Jensen, I haven't previewed any of these questions. So this could be you dangerous. You don't know what you're going to get. I never know what I'm going to get. I'm awesome. reading it for the first time now. Aaron Jensen says, I'm planing down six foot long mahogany boards to a thickness that is just a hair thinner than my old lunchbox planer wants to. Wants to. Is it better to attach the boards to a backer and run it through? or fix a board on the planer bed and then slide them over it. Mostly removing old finish, very light passes, feed rollers are on top of the cutter head. Um, are they ever on the bottom? Okay, you know, I think you might be able to get away with both of those things. I have seen setups where they put like a melamine board and then a couple little um, stops on both ends. So you slide this melamine platform in, drop it down, and then it, it can't move forward or back because it's got stops on either end that catch the infeed and outfeed tables. And then you run the pieces through there. That seems to be much more forgiving. Um, I know at the Mark Adams School, their planers are all sort of semi-permanently set up with that melamine piece in there. And, uh, and I, I asked them why they keep it in there. And it was because of that they're able to do thinner pieces. Um, for me, I don't want that kind of a perma setup. <laughs> so uh, if I'm going to do a very thin piece and I want to do it in the planer, I'm just going to use a support board uh, and usually probably hot glue or something uh, to get that thing secured to that support board and send it through that way. Cool. Um, we so also get I, questions from the chat. So yeah, if, 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 if you I, have them. Can they hear me? Oh, they can hear you. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Look, here's, here's the audio levels. Okay. They can oh, hear you. They can hear me. It's well, just not, it's the not perfect audio. I have a question from Anthony Lucivero. I'm sure I just butchered that. Sure. Uh, hey guys, I'm contemplating what to ask for my birthday. Oh. One of the options is a Lee Nielsen rabbit block plane. What are your thoughts on it? Can it do everything a normal block plane can? Pretty much. In uh, in hybrid woodworking, in, in the chapter where I talk about, it's, it's a book. Um, they still make those. 
there's a chapter where I talked about tools that I recommend you start with. And if you don't already have a block plane, I think a rabbiting block plane is a great first choice because you could do joinery tasks with it because the blade goes all the way to the side of the body, but it also does pretty much everything that a regular block plane can do as well. Um, you know, if you're getting picky about it, could there be things that the block plane maybe does a little bit better, a dedicated block plane? Maybe, maybe, but the, the, the rabbiting block plane is still just a great block plane to have in your arsenal. It's great for joinery, great for just, uh, you know, end grain. It's uh, anything you would normally use a block plane for. So I'm going to say, yes, I think that's perfectly fine as a, a good choice for an all-around block plane. I have another, uh, David Penn, is it Penny? Penny? Uh, yep. He's been watching the show on Amazon Prime. Uh, I just so finished cool. the whole series. It stopped at Nicole's desk part one. Really looking forward to the rest of it. You know what? I'll get the rest of it up today. Amazon has been doing really good about posting my videos fast. Yeah. Like within a day. Turnaround used, time was like weeks. It before. used to be two weeks I would post something and wait for it to, to publish. Now mm -hmm. it's like somebody said, just move them along. Move them along. Yeah. I don't so, know. Who'd you pay? Who'd you pay off, Nicole? I don't know. So, David, I'll get those up uh, later on today. I love that people can do that, though. That the videos are all, like, our entire library is mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime. Yeah. If, you're, if you use the app or... Does it work if you're on it a non-Apple or a non-Fire TV sort of device? Yeah, it works. But you have I have it on my, uh, as an app on my phone, and you can watch it. Prime video? Yeah, okay. video. Sweet. Because it's Prime, baby. It's all pumped, primed and pumped. Okay, where are we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Know. Lark Atkin. Says, hi, Mark, looking to buy a saw stop. I'm looking to buy a model that I can grow into as my skills develop. I'm hoping you can help me understand what I should expect from one, three, five, or seven horsepower saws. Uh, also, is the industrial saw worth the jump from the professional, in your opinion? Is there a big benefit to single phase saws? There's lots of questions here. Lastly, do you ever find yourself wishing you had a 52 inch capacity uh, table under table saw or is going for 36 a better option? Sorry, lots of questions. Okay. Now, I am no expert on SawStop. I don't have one. I have only used them or seen them in other people's shops. Uh, I will, let's cover the horsepower thing. Generally, a horsepower is, you know, what a lot of us start with, right? We get a small one horsepower saw or something maybe even less than a horse. And you will find those limitations pretty quickly. You start doing eight quarter lumber or thicker. Uh, and you, you know, depending on what blade you're running, sometimes you could bog those saws down if you're not careful. Uh, I think the minimum for, and I'm, I'm going to say serious with bunny air quotes, uh, for the minimum for a serious woodworker is a three horsepower saw. Uh, starting to border on overkill for the serious woodworker, it, it still does everything you need it to do, but probably maybe a little more powerful than you truly need is a five horsepower. Um, to give you a frame of reference, I've got a three horsepower, right? I used to have a five horse and when I got this, uh, whatever the latest version of the, well, it's not the latest, it was then, a PM2000, uh, I really didn't notice a difference uh, in terms of things bogging down. Um, if you're using the proper rip blade when you're doing a big rip on an exotic hardwood or something like that, you're going to be just fine with a three horsepower saw. But if you're the kind of person who likes a little overkill in your life, then go for the five horsepower. You won't, you won't regret it. Uh, as far as phases are concerned, yeah, there's an a definite uh, advantage for single phase and that's you don't need to have any kind of phase converters uh, to go for a three-phase tool. So I don't have anything three-phase in my shop. I don't have any plans on getting anything three-phase. Depending on what you want to do, where you want to get your tools, how you buy your tools, you may want three-phase. But for me personally, it's just something that I don't particularly need. 
Uh, and oh, and seven horsepower saw. I don't. I've never seen one. <laughs> I've never been in a shop that had one. So uh, that if five is overkill, you can imagine what seven is. As far as the industrial versus the professional, you're going to have to consult with people who actually have those two saws. Uh, I don't really know the specific differences between those. I'm sure they are laid out very clearly on SawStop's website. And uh, 52 inch capacity. I used to have 52, and I I. I cut it back a little bit. I actually think for people who are breaking down sheet goods with a circular saw, maybe you've got a track saw system or just a, a little guide in a circular saw, you really aren't going to have many times that you need that full 52-inch capacity. Um, I think most people can get by with a 36-inch. If we're in, you know, a lot of us are in smaller spaces, so why waste that extra space if you don't need it? But if you're a cabinet shop and you're throwing four by eight sheets up there, and a lot of your parts are coming off of that table saw you want that 52-inch capacity. Uh, in my case, I just didn't find much use for it. Well, there you go. And that is answers to all of his questions. So uh, you missed Carl's question last week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he says, uh, hi, Mark and Nicole. I'm trying to find the RRU. Let's, let's clarify something. RRU. Mark doesn't miss anything. Oh, oh. There are questions I don't answer because I don't have a good answer for the show. <laughs> okay. Or I don't think it's going to be something that I could do justice to, so yes. I don't answer it. It was not a mistake. Well, he's he's just looking for that. However, are you? Are you? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Rasp, but he can't find it because they're not making them anymore, right? I don't know what the status is. Oh. They were in business. Then they weren't in business. Then they did like a crowdfund and then they were in business again. And now they're not in business. We don't have a good answer. So for he's asking all. for another recommendation. Look at Lozier. L-O-G-I-E-R is another brand that makes some really nice hand-stitched rasps. And then outside of that, there might be other brands, but look at things like... Um, Nicholson, you know, Nicholson, you're starting to get into more of the mass produced stuff. What is it Loger? L O G I E R. I don't know that you're going to find it in. Yeah, that's Loger. Oh. L O G I E R. I E R. I forgot the I. I E R. There we go. I'm not sure if they're on Amazon or not. Uh, you can get a cheese grater. Yeah. Uh, you could look at, like, I see some um, Narex, Narex mm-hmm. ones that, oh, yeah. that would be serviceable. I mean, sometimes with these rafts, we don't need to get nuts. You know, the real hand-stitched ones are great. But can you get by with a Nicholson that's stuck into a, a block of wood? <laughs> you could, you, that, that'll be fine. Um, but yeah, the other brand I would say that's up there with RU is the Lozier brand. Okay. Yeah, you can't find those. In it. I, I don't see them on Amazon. Uh, looks like Narex is on Amazon. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. This looks like a question that I, that, that, that's going to be long. Okay. <laughs> Greg Roberts. Says my daughter is married to an Air Force C-17 pilot stationed in Charleston, South Carolina, and is a member of the 14th Squadron, nicknamed the Pelicans. Air Force spouses group that my daughter belongs to has asked me to build them a pelican that will be put in the yard as a member of the squadron when they have a new baby to announce the birth, uh, like putting a stork in the yard of a family with a baby name, weight, etc. Okay, that's cool. I have built it out of three-quarter-inch plywood and used exterior paint to paint the pelican. I want to put a protective coat of something to protect the wood while it's sitting in the yard. My question is, what would you recommend, an exterior poly, or uh, should I put a thin coat of epoxy over it? Okay, so this is plywood. He has painted it. You know, sometimes exterior paint is the best thing out there. Uh, It could be very difficult to find something better than exterior paint. Uh, So if it's a really good quality paint, and this is something that you might want to, I mean, how long are they keeping the pelican out there? Like, how, how, how much protection do we really need for this thing? I can't imagine they're leaving it out there forever. 
Well, they might. It's a pelican. No. Pelicans don't come inside. When you turn it around. I mean, at some point, you want to be like, five years later, the kid's going to kindergarten. And you're yeah. like, no one cares about his birth weight. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, is there another side to the pelican <laughs> yeah. that you're going to flip it around? Is it maybe, going to be out there for a long time? Like outdoor art or So, look, if, if you're using this the way I would, I would think you're using it, you don't need to do anything else. The exterior paint should be perfectly fine. If it's out there for a year, it'll be fine. Then they could take it and put it in the basement and move it around every year. And every time they move to a new house, mm-hmm. they got to move the damn pelican, right? Because no one's going to give away the pelican it's that, now. That, that, the, uh, that the grandpa made. Like, yeah. that's the way these things work, right? Yeah. But I, I think if you were going to coat it with something else, I don't know that it's really going to buy you a whole lot. But there are marine varnishes out there you could put potentially on top of this. Uh, Epiphanes is one that I've used in the past. Um, I wouldn't just go and coat it with epoxy unless you know that it's like uh, an epoxy that's going to do well outside. Um, So yeah, honestly though, a good quality exterior paint. What's great about it is it's pretty durable, blocks UV. And if you need to, um, you know, spruce it up a little bit, you just apply more paint as opposed to putting a clear coat on top and you want to spruce it up and you have a damaged clear coat, well, now you got a little bit of a problem because you're probably not just going to put paint right on top of that damaged clear coat, right? Mm. It gets complicated. Complicated. <clears throat> Speaking of outdoor. Okay. What outdoor finish do you recommend? I agree with Cremona's disappointment with general finishes outdoor oil, so I'm looking for a replacement for Adirondack chairs. You know, it kind of depends on conditions. These outdoor uh, finishing questions, it's, it's very difficult because a lot of it comes down to how much, well, first of all, your expectations. Second of all, how much labor you want to put into it. Um, I've been playing a lot with the more penetrating oils. I've been using things like Osmo UV protection oil uh, and their One Coat HS, I think it's called. So there are products that are um, really intended to be applied, let's call it periodically, maybe every other year, depending on the conditions, maybe every year. They are not putting a very thick film on top. It's putting there something there that, that repels the water, uh, sort of has pigments in it that repel some of the UV rays, but outside of that, it's not super incredibly protective. But sometimes outside, that's all you need, especially if you're going to apply a little bit more the next season. So, so Ben did two super chats. Okay. And his second one is I see this guy with a big giant thumb up. But for you, it's pear character stretching his arm forward, raising his thumb up. I love the description. That's really good. Hey, at least they're uh, so they're it's, trying. It's so funny that what you, I see and you see. Are it's going through the trouble of interpreting it. Yes. You know, like, yes. um, uh, what do you call it? When they describe uh, music and yeah. sound effects mm-hmm. in uh, closed captions. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So thank you, Ben, for the super chat. And also thank you, Joseph Mensch, uh, for the super chat. I just lost it. He says, hola and happy Friday. Joseph, where you been, man? How's that rec tech treating you? Uh, I like I like the rec tech. It's it's a nice little device. Some of my favorite foods coming off of that. Okay. Um, Did Greg, Brian? Brian Thorpe. Trying to get an old colonial look in color using hard maple and rubio. What color rubio would give me this look? A light brown, no red. Can you use a dye before using rubio? Okay. I haven't used all of rubio's colors. I have used maybe their mahogany. I've used walnut and I've used their, what is it? There's one chocolate or something like that. So I think what you may find here is that you're putting too much color on there. So uh, walnut tends to be like a really, like if you take a dark brown and add some gray to it, that's kind of the color that their walnut goes to. If you look at the chocolate color, again, I'm pretty sure it's called chocolate, that's a little bit more of your traditional dark brown. 
What you might need to do is dilute that. So you may need to get some Rubio Pure. You don't have to use them full strength. You could take a little Rubio Pure, mix it with uh, some of the color, kind of do your own combination. Keep track of the ratio in case you need to do it again in the future. Uh, and just make a diluted version of the chocolate. And that might get you where you want to be. Um, I would not, ideally, I don't want to see you using dyes and things like that before Rubio. Technically, if it's a alcohol-based dye, a water-based dye, if, as long as there's no finish in that dye mixture. So if you go for something like General Finishes dye stains, those actually do have a little bit of finish in there. Um, if you are doing something where it's truly dye dissolved in a solution, then put on the surface, you're not really restricting Rubio's ability to contact the wood fibers. So I think that might work. But I don't know how, how fast the color is going to be. I don't know if you're going to have problems with it wiping off. So when it comes to things like the hard wax oil lime uh, of finishes, I, I don't usually like to play with other things and incorporating them, incorporating them into those systems because they're pretty specific about what they want you to use. Very, very specific. <clears throat> yes. Uh, Karen G. had a question last week uh, that she submitted, but it was after you pulled the questions. So she's Are you like, sure it's not one that I just ignored on purpose? No, because I, I remember it you coming can see in the... after the other, when it came in. Okay. I'm, she's having a hard time mm -hmm. figuring out how much wood to, she needs for a project. Uh, it gets harder still when I go to buy the wood and have to make adjustments on the fly after seeing what's available. Do you have any advice or tips? I feel like I'm making it too complicated. Well, if you're not a Wood Talk listener, we did a couple of shows ago. We talked about sometime recently, just I don't know what episode number, but I know we talked about project planning uh, and, and getting into that design phase, buying lumber. Actually, it might just be the last episode. I was going to say. I'm the trouble is we record like two or three episodes at once, so it all <laughs> blurs, and I don't know if it's been published or not. Drunk on design? That's the first stage of designing the project. Maybe it's the next episode where we talk about it. Premium thong oil? <laughs> yeah. The titles of that show <laughs> are never, almost as good as if these. If you've never listened to the Wood Talk podcast or gone to the woodtalkshow.com, you're in for a treat on these titles. <laughs> well, if you like this show, there's a real good chance you might like Wood Talk. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Well, don't feel bad, Karen. Buying lumber is a tricky thing, especially if you're on a budget. Maybe you don't have enough space to store a lot of extra lumber. The thing with lumber is it's a natural product. It's full of flaws. And sometimes you want those flaws. Sometimes you need to avoid them. So you're going to buy something. If they had Everything in the size you wanted, the exact length and width boards, it'd be great because you can go take one of those, one of those, one of those. That's not how it works. So the only way that I find to have a pleasurable uh, wood buying experience... You go to Belforest. <laughs> let them I, do it. Yeah, as I let Belforest pick it for me. Uh, no, I actually will go and overbuy, right? That's why most of the time a project uh, plan will tell you to buy maybe 20% extra, 20% more than you need. Uh, so this way it takes a little bit of the pressure off. Uh, now, I run, I run a business doing this. I have a decent amount of space. So I do something a lot of people can't do, and I just buy a crap ton more. I buy way more than I need, and anything that's left over goes on the shelf, and I'll use it on another project um, because I don't like to make return trips to the lumberyard. So if that's not really an option for you, you do have to start prioritizing. You have to look at the project, determine what is absolutely critical that it come out of the same board, right? Maybe you have parts that are very near one another, legs to a table, you want them all to look the same, those should be out of the same board. So what kind of board would you need to satisfy those legs? Well, that's the dimensions you're going to be shopping for. It's got to be six inches uh, wide, at least 36 inches long. If I can get that out of the same board, okay, my legs are done. Uh, a tabletop, right? That's a big visual area that people are going to see. So you have very specific needs for that. 
I need to get at least four boards that are this width, that get me a little bit oversized, then I can get nice clear material from that. You sort of strategize on what are the most important parts of the project. Once you see those and you pick your favorite boards for those things, then it comes down to just saying, okay, now I need 10 board feet to cover everything else, right? You still may wind up with, with trouble with that, but I don't want you to be stressed out while you're buying material, right? So you just try to focus on the things that are the most important and then everything else can kind of be lumped into a general board count or board foot count. And that, that's usually my approach. And uh, again, I do buy extra because I just don't want to be stressed out about it. Jeremy made me smile. He says, I just got here. Catch me up. How's the weather? What what kind of coffee do you have? What's that band handler? And where'd you get that shirt? Okay. All, all, <laughs> the, all the classic all questions. All the classic questions. Actually, my shirt oh, is yeah. the shirt club thing that they started for um, Star Trek Lower Decks for the cartoon that's out. So there's a site that like every week they have a limited time t-shirt. And if you send them a stupid amount of money, you will get all of the t-shirts and then like a couple of bonus t-shirts. Um, they still, are they still running it? Do they still have? The- I don't know what the current offer is. I, I don't know if, the, well, no, because I think you, you had to sign up early to get all the t-shirts. Oh, okay. But now each week when an episode comes out, you can get that, uh, that t-shirt. Here it is. There's, I'll put a link if you're interested, if you're interested in the t-shirt. Oh, wow. They're all, they're all sold Yeah. Out. It's all, it's all about scarcity, Nicole. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And, and by the way, we only have so many memberships that we can give out on this new YouTube membership thing, right? They run out. Event, no, we might run out. No, they don't. Scarcity. <laughs> it works. Yeah, We're closing our doors, everybody. <laughs> That's my favorite oh thing. My you can't. I had, I had an experience on Facebook with a science jewelry company and uh-huh. they presented it as if their store was closing out. But they had just made their Facebook page like four days prior. Yeah. And I'm like, and I questioned them and then they blocked me. <laughs> it's like the furniture stores that are always closing. Yes. And it's been five years yeah. and they're still having closeout yeah. sales. Yeah. Okay. There's the Lower Decks uh, t-shirt stuff. All right. Jason Stoffel says, I need to apply finish to a mahogany bathtub tray. It will only be a few um, used a few times a year. It's for my girlfriend. So I'm okay with refinishing it in the future. Been bouncing between Osmo and boiled linseed oil. What would you use to finish something like this? Either one of those could work, Jason. It's not used that often. It's not getting soaked. If it does get wet, you're probably going to wipe it. Uh, I like Osmo between those two. Um, Boiled linseed oil is fine, but what it takes to get the water protection from boiled linseed oil in, you know, maybe five, six, seven, eight coats, you get that in like one or two with Osmo. So I definitely like uh, Osmo as the, the better option. In that situation. Jeremy says, I accidentally started a Star Trek conversation. <laughs> he, he knocked us off the rails is what that was. Nice job, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, David wants to know if you own any collared shirts. You do. They're in the closet somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're hidden away. for. I may like, as well not own them, though, because they're in Nicole's space. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Nicole's space is the closet. At my space is that little you got the flannel, piece of furniture. You got some flannel collared shirts. And- Look, here's what it comes down to. People buy me shirts okay. with collars. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I actually wear them. They're just there. They're there. Just in case. Yeah. Okay. Robert Honies says, I'm finally finishing building my uh, workbench. Gunflint Designs dual flip top workbench. I used the workbench flattening technique that you demonstrated in your workbench flattening video and it worked like a charm. Thank you for that. I'm close to the step of finishing the top of the workbench and... I found a ton of opinions online for the best way to finish your workbench. Boy, it's a finishing question day. It is. If you were to build and finish a workbench today, how would you finish the top? Thanks in advance. Here's the thing about a workbench finish. Don't overthink it. Just stop, 
pick a finish, put it on there. Honestly, a workbench is a tool. And you really just want to stop stain or glue from automatically just sticking and staining the surface. So something that repels moisture, but it doesn't have to be an epoxy finish. You don't want something really slick and slippery. This is not a piece of house furniture. Uh, in fact, if you make it too slippery, then the bench becomes a little bit less useful because stuff just slides right off it. You can't grip anything. So I think one of the easiest, simple, uh, low-hanging fruit sort of finishes for a workbench is just Danish oil, Watco Danish oil. It's an oil varnish blend. You throw a couple of coats on there. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to help repel, um, you know, uh, uh, it's going to help repel stains and glue spotting. Uh, if glue spills on it, you can usually just get a putty knife and pop it right up. Uh, when it starts to look like crap, because it will if you're using it, it, you can just apply another coat or sand the surface lightly and apply another coat of Danish oil. Um, there are products like Osmo and Rubio that actually would be pretty good, functionally speaking, for a workbench. But why spend that much money on that? If you happen to have some and it's going bad, go ahead and use it. But I'd rather see you just run to Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever, pick up some Watco Danish oil, and that's your workbench finish. Um, that's my personal choice. There are lots of options out there. But the one place that you are probably wasting your time the most overthinking, I like overthinking things, but the one place that you may spend, <laughs> waste your time the most is overthinking a finish for a workbench, right? You just shouldn't be thinking about it that much. Uh, Mark Thomas uh, says he likes the clock in okay. the background. Wonderful. Uh, nowhere I can find something similar. We do. Amazon. Amazon's where I got that one. They have a ton of them. Sort of like that one, mm -hmm. various prices. But if you go to Amazon.com slash shop slash The Wood Whisperer under Friday Live, you'll find that clock. And then they'll probably show you similar clocks. Yeah. So there, we've got some more super chats. Well, do some YouTube stuff. I've been doing so many questions from Patreon. That's what I'm doing. Okay. David says, buy some Robux or mine coins. Uh, you have now become my son's favorite person. Yeah. <laughs> because, holy moly. Robux and V-Bucks and... I don't want to buy him any more stuff. I don't either. <laughs> David, why'd you do that, man? Now I feel obligated. Because here's the thing. You don't just go in and buy, no. like, we're talking about, like, uh, Fortnite, right? Right. You don't just go in and buy a couple uh, of V-Bucks. Oh, uh, V-Bucks. It's like, no, you got to get the 1999 package of V-Bucks yeah. because he can't get anything for the smaller amount, right? Five bucks, though. What a rat. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to put that in Mateo's... Uh, virtual currency fund. Yeah. And then when it when it amasses to a certain point, yeah. then we'll make a purchase and we'll for tell it. Him that it came from you, David. It came from David, Her the David Hernandez fund. Yep. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. Uh, Robert wants to know, are you opening the Wood Whisper membership vault for a limited time? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? The vault. Maybe he's talking about me. I, I don't know, but maybe my artificial scarcity thing. Oh, maybe. I mean, that was a joke. Yeah, we're Joking. Or maybe we... I'm joking you. <laughs> don't be joking me. I don't know. Maybe we misunderstand your question, Robert. Okay, what else? Clarify <laughs> if you're you're serious. Oh, Todd has a good point. He says, if the collared shirts don't spark joy, aren't you supposed to get rid of them? No, because then he has to go to like a powermatic function and they say, bring a collared shirt. And he goes, I don't have a collared shirt. Technically, this has a collar. Well, it's just a short collar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't all shirts have a collar? Yeah. Unless they're like a douchey V-neck. David says, that clock is expensive as hell. Yeah, I know. I, it's surprising, <laughs> he right? He wouldn't have let me buy it had why I is, asked him. I just want to know why it's so expensive. I don't know. I mean, I know there's gears in there and all of those things, everything but the date is somewhat related. You know, like the days, the 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 month. 
it's all kind of tied to one another. So there's probably a pretty complex gear system in there, but I still don't understand why it's so expensive. Yeah. Uh, I got you, a you, you must really want that in your shop or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you got to really want it. Uh, Tyler, I know this is a little bit off topic. It's a lot off topic. Collar shirts are for court appearances. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Uh, Tyler said, for some reason, I thought Nicole was a doctor in a past life. Can you clear this up for me? I know she works for the business now. Doctor? Well, look, <laughs> there are times when I cut <laughs> I cut myself and I go inside and I expect to get the sort of like the mothering instinct. Oh, let me take care of that for you. And I'm like, I can't get the Band-Aid on myself. Nicole's style of doctoring <laughs> is she kind of puts like half of the adhesive on because she knows I could wrap the rest myself. <laughs> so I walk away with blood dripping and a little flappy band-aid that I have to close myself. That's not true. She's more of a rub some dirt in it kind of gal. That is true. I am not, I've never been a doctor. I, you know, if you want me to oh, pull a splinter out, Dr. Nicole. I will dig in your skin and pull the splinter out. You know, you and Bed Bodner have something in common now. Yes. You're both uh, imaginary doctors. <laughs> uh, I used to work in... Um, <laughs> Uh, in the computer industry, I, I used to be uh, a trainer uh, for more or less. She worked for a software company yeah. and then they sold the software and she had to train people how to use the software yeah. that they sold. Well, I, I had many roles in the company. I was a trainer. I used to do uh, programming where I would convert people from their old system to the new system. Mm -hmm. I did a whole bunch of stuff and I did sales. Yeah. So. All right. What else? We got some more questions? Uh, yeah. Uh, Rick Hold Holdwell. What? Nathan says you're a ditch medic. <laughs> What's that? It oh. sounds like someone who yeah, yeah. is a medic in a war, Slap a war on, zone. Push you out. <laughs> Just to make sure, like my limbs are still attached. You're yeah. good. Okay, keep going. Uh, Rick wants to know. I made my own shellac and struggling to get a clean, smooth finish yeah. on a live edge spalted maple table. Do okay. You have any suggestions? Shellac can be tricky. There are people who get really good at it, and shellac can be a beautiful and I, th uh, I think a durable finish. I think it gets sold short on durability because uh, of that whole alcohol dissolving thing. But shellac can be an absolutely gorgeous finish. Um, but these days, and I've done a lot of shellac in the past, these days I find very little reason to use shellac anymore. Uh, I used to use de-wax shellac a lot as like a sealer coat, but I found other ways to deal with that. Um, so... It comes down to this. Practice. Maybe check some other resources. I don't know if VJ Velji still has his stuff out there. There's a gentleman named VJ Velji who sold shellac and had a great shellac uh, instructional video on how to apply it. Um, look at those resources. You're going to have to practice. It definitely takes some practice. Uh, but I might ask you the very pedestrian sort of question of why are you bothering with shellac? Um, there has to be a reason you specifically want to use shellac these days to justify using shellac. Um, I just think there are so many other better finishes that might be easier to apply that can get you close enough to a similar look. You know, if you get into the world of spraying lacquer and things like that, that might be something. Um, so if you don't have a specific reason to use shellac, maybe use something else. It's, it can just be a very temperamental finish that's not like a lot of other finishes that we use. So it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, did you get Mike's question? He said he thinks you missed it. I got a lot of questions here. Oh, you're I'm not. You're I'm not. I may not get. I may not get to all the oh, Patreon okay. questions. Okay. Is the problem? Well, Mike's in the chat, so find Mike. Mike Davies. No, Mike. Mike, Mike Mahone. Mick Mahone. <laughs> I see no Mick Mahones in my list, Nicole. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I don't see any. Well, I'll look it up, Mike. 
Well, now that I've mentioned Mike Davies, it would be kind of yeah, yeah, shitty yeah. not to answer his question. <laughs> I just cursed. I'm sorry. Um, Mike says, built your kitchen trestle table a year or so ago, but I've heard a bit of cracking as the top expands and contracts. Left what I thought was enough wiggle room in the screw slots and attach, to attach the top, but maybe not. Uh, should I take the top off and further elongate the holes that go from the leg assembly to the base now, or just hope that those few pops took care of things? Uh, no visible impact on the top yet. Usually, you would think, with a little bit of movement, even if it's a little more than you expected, uh, if you allowed for some movement, what you're doing at this point is either denting wood or compressing wood fibers with a screw, right? Those screws are fairly strong. Uh, worst case scenario, maybe they bend a little bit. Um, at this point, though, I would be curious to see what happened. Just my curiosity as a woodworker would probably get me under there, loosening things up just to see what's going on. Um, I would not take any chances. I mean, I would say chances are maybe the movement that was going to happen has already happened and maybe it's fine. Uh, but you just don't really know. So I would actually look at it and see, Have you? are you totally misaligned now? Uh, you could probably make the tabletop happier in the long run and also make sure that those screws aren't going to break or something, you know, so that something in the table isn't going to break. Um, so I would inspect it further to just make sure. Um, but I don't think if you if you choose to ignore it, I, it doesn't sound like you're going to have like a disastrous situation. But the pops, the pops make me a little bit nervous. I mean, the popping you might hear could also be like maybe you had a film finish and something kind of seized up between the base and the top. So what you're hearing is the separation, that popping noise of the two finishes um, sliding by one another. That could be part of it too. So I figured it out. Uh, Mike <coughs> piggybacked on Brian Tharp's question. Oh. And he said, my question is along the same topic, which was Rubio. Um, when using a Rubio color, do you still use a, pre, a pure non-colored maintenance oil as a second coat? Yes, I do. Their maintenance oil adds a little bit of extra sheen, changes nothing with the color. So yes, they're, um, when I do a second coat, if I do a second coat, I will do that right on top of the color coat. And I, I don't do anything else with color. It's just their pure maintenance oil. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I had a... Oh, Super Chat came in and I missed it. A super Duper Chat? From Shoemaker Woodworking. Okay. So he said, coffee money for Mark. What? I guess, well, yeah, I guess I better go get him a coffee. You bet. She walks in with her fancy... <laughs> With your fancy high winter boots. I know. I got and, um, and she's got she's got her phone and her coffee. We had snow. She's a, a lady about town. <laughs> Walks in. I'm like, should I close the door or is there a coffee in the car that I need to get? Or what's going on with the coffee? She's so, like, uh, I got you no coffee. Shoemaker, a woodworking, I will go get him a coffee. Mm-hmm. Just because of you. And he said, a uh, good buddy fund. So you better start calling oh, sweet. him a good buddy. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Den- Devin Perkins says, I recently completed my first cutting board. It's made of laminated pieces of maple and cherry with the edge grain uh, on the cutting surface. I sanded to 220, raised the grain, sanded it again with 220, then finished with walrus oil, cutting board, oil, and wood wax. After a couple of washes, it started to feel rougher all around. What's the best way to remedy this? High grit sanding. Thanks for the help. Yes, sand. So a lot of times a cutting board has that kind of break-in period. Um, we can try to, to lessen that by uh, sort of it, this, this cycle of wetting, Raising the grain, sanding, raising the grain, sanding, raising the grain, sanding. Uh, but you can only do so much before it's time to get that cutting board in the house and start using it. Uh, so once you do that, after a few months, I've always recommended you take that board back in the shop, give it a nice sanding. You don't have to go too high of a grit. 220 is probably fine. Um, give it a nice sanding. Don't sand too aggressively. You don't want to burn down real deep 
and get to like, you know, really new wood because then you're going to just repeat this process again. Um, but a light sanding at 220, re-oil. You might even put a little oil and use the sandpaper to apply it. Sand it in and then wipe off the excess. And uh, you could even do that in the kitchen. Take some sandpaper, some oil, wipe it down and give it a good, good, good scrub down. And then uh, that should help it. And, and it also should help prevent it from happening again in the future. You know what I forgot to mention? I At the top of the know. show? What? I'm still doing the jet giveaway. Oh. The sander, oh. right? It's the sander. I don't know. <laughs> so if you go to the woodwhisperer.com slash giveaway, uh, Jet gave me a tool to give away this month. Um, so be sure to, to sign up by the end of the month if you are in Canada or in the U.S. That's who they're shipping to. I don't control that. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, it is a boom. Bench, oh, bench the, the bench top, top sander. Drum sander. Sweet. So there you go. Um, right now, eh, there's 12,000 people. <laughs> Only 12,000. Only 12,000. People like winning free Your stuff. Your odds are great. Yeah, really good. Um, and then another small update. I know <clears throat> pretty much weekly we get asked about woodworkers fighting cancer. I was able to get some woodworkers fighting cancer progress done this week. Mm-hmm. We have selected our charity. Uh, I, we are going with St. Jude's hospital, uh, uh, research hospital mm-hmm. this year. And I've already gotten co- uh, confirmation from woodpecker, uh, tight bond, uh, Bell forest. forest. Uh, I've gotten a few others. Um, well, you just started, so yeah. got to give them some time to respond. Yeah. So, uh, if you would like to donate anything to our auctions, um, let's, Email me, Nicole at thewoodwhisper.com. Everything, 100% of what we're raising goes directly to the charity this year. Uh, every year it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, woodworkersfindingcancer.com. I'll be updating that soon. And we'll have an announcement video come out on October 2nd. And we can tell you right now the project. Yeah. We kind of knew we were going to do this just because of the, the time frame and how difficult it is to, to get another project up there. Um, the kid's desk that we just did. It's already um, out. Yeah, so you may have already built the project. And take if, a picture. Yeah, if you built it and you take a picture, we're going to do the same thing where yeah. we match. Well, not match. That's what we try to get other yeah. people to do. Yeah. We, pledge we pledge a certain dollar amount per finished desk that we have submitted to us. So if you've already built one, you're actually done for the charity. All you have yeah. to do is send us that and picture. And I'll put all the details up on the Woodworkers Fighting Cancer page yeah. within the week. Um, don't submit anything just yet. I'm just no, we're not ready a, yet. I'm just give you a little taste that... I'm actually doing something. And as always, if you're, you know, a woodshop teacher, yeah. and I don't know what the status of woodshop is these days with uh, COVID, but if you are running classes and you get, you know, 15 kids to build 15 desks, mm-hmm. that still counts. All yeah. 15 count for this. But if you're one person that builds 15, one counts. One counts. Yeah. yeah. One per person is what it yeah. comes down to. Um, okay. We got to wrap up the show, Nicole. Oh, I guess so. We were a little late, so it's okay that we're going long. Yeah, but that doesn't affect the total elapsed time of the show. That's true. (laughs) All right, let's do one more question, and then then I need to get a drink. All righty, all righty. Okay. Evan Malden says, I'm currently working on a split-top Rubo. Are there any changes that you would make if you had to make it again? I'm making it a bit shorter and going to install Andy Klein's Twin Vice. I don't think so. I mean, that's the thing that I love about this workbench. That's kind of why I picked this design because it's very flexible. If you want to change things or add stuff to it, it's a good template, right? But if you have that bench crafted hardware on there, um, it's hard to, to beat that. Now, Andy came up with, um, you know, basically a, a better wheel. <laughs> he came up with a great new vice. So there are ways to 
uh, adapt that to the split top Rubo. But again, that's the great thing about the design. You can kind of pick whatever vices you want. You just make a couple of changes and it's good to go. Um, but as far as the bench size, the bench width, height, uh, placement of uh, work holding, all that stuff is great. I still love it. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything. The only thing I, I would like to do, and these are things I could still do, are just clever little things. Like my little uh, dish here for the magnetic thing that I made the other day that holds pencils and stuff, and I could remove it, and I could also knock it over with my hip. John and I did that twice this week, so I still need to add some dowels or something. Yeah. But little add-ons. You know, I got a power strip back here that's pretty cool yeah. uh, for, for hybrid woodworkers and power tool woodworkers. So yeah, I wouldn't really change a whole lot. I think the core fundamentals behind that workbench are solid, and they remain to be solid. They remain solid, baby. You just got a super chat in if you want to throw that up from Tommy. <clears throat> Tommy! Uh, thank you for all your educational resources. Would you be willing to give lessons next time you're in Arizona? Paid, of course. Thanks. We don't I gotta, have plans to go to Arizona. I gotta tell you some bad news. If I, uh, if I have to be in Arizona, it's gonna have to be something that's forced upon me. Possibly tying me up in a van and driving me there. <laughs> Uh, it's not that bad. No, it's not we that bad. We live there. We lived there for 10 years. Yeah, we actually have, there's, we have a property there. Yeah. So there's reasons for yeah. us to go back. We just try not to. A Arizona burned me. And I mean that figuratively and literally. <laughs> uh, like it, we, we did a lot there. I'm always thankful for what Arizona did for us um, and what that represented for that stage of our lives and our business. But it's just, it's, it's just not for me. It's hot. It's a little hot. You grew up with seasons. Yeah. I wanted them seasons. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, anytime I'm in a place, there's always that possibility that I'm, I, I might be there to do something in a teaching capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So never say never. I don't know. But there's certainly no current plans. David says you have a warrant in Arizona. <laughs> I do. That's why I can't go there. Yeah. As soon as I go across the border, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's a bad thing. Okay, anything else before uh, we go? I just wanted to say thank you thank you to Stephen Hawker and Joshua 80. I'm guessing your name's Joshua. Uh, they just signed up for the membership. So now you'll be able to head on over to the community tab and watch the after show, which yeah. is a lot of off-topic stuff of this. And we could just with all our trouble that we had in the beginning, I did not give as much time to discussing what the membership thing actually mm -hmm. is as I wanted well, to. A video. Yeah, there's a video. So I guess go watch that. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit yeah. next week. But if I have like goofy stuff that I want to do, uh, I plan on doing like little tool reviews, total informal tool reviews, like this little Leatherman. If I wanted to show this, I don't want to do a full scale video for that, but I might do a little informal thing showing you this tool and all its little fun little features or like my little, uh, my little chive. I don't know why I'm talking about knives only, yeah. but you know, woodworking tools, um, informal sort of, you know, dude talking to, to a friend telling him what he thinks about a tool. I want to put that kind of stuff in there too. Yeah. Some behind the scenes stuff as well. There you go. And that'll be in the, the um, Plus extras, TWW some, extras some level. bloopers. Did you push I did. I posted the bloopers this oh, morning. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you everybody for watching. Um, those of you who are going to see the after show, we'll see you in a couple minutes. Yep. Peace. Bye. Peace out.